Hello and welcome to Servant's Heart Chapel. I am Pastor Daryl, and I hope today's episode is a special blessing to you. Luke chapter 14, 15 through 24 today. The parable of the Great Supper or the parable of the large banquet. This parable was in fact the text of the last sermon D.L. Moody preached. The sermon entitled Excuses. It was given on November 23rd, 1899 in the Civic Auditorium in Kansas City. And, and Moody was a sick man as he preached. He said, I must have souls in Kansas City. He said, never, never have I wanted so much to lead men and women to Christ as I do this time. There was a throbbing in his chest as he preached and he had to hold on to the organ to, to keep from falling down. But he bravely preached the gospel and some 50 people responded to trust Christ. The next day he left for home and a month later he died. Up to the very end, Moody was compelling them to come in, but he understood and the tragedy of excuses. In fact, he was quoted as saying, excuses are the cradle that Satan rocks men off to sleep in. Excuses have, have detoured people from victory in Christ or, or the Lord's work for millennia now and continue even to this day, if not more so. Excuses are why we are missing some people in our church today. Excuses are why uh, some of our churches, not just in our denomination, not just in the holiness movement, but all American Christendom, there are churches that are missing pastors and Sunday school teachers because someone was called of God to do that work and they made excuses. And so here Jesus uh, talks about that, gives a parable describing this tragedy as regarding the gospel. The, this great supper. You remember that um, we're kind of walking in in the middle of a scene. Jesus had been already at, the, at this point spending time with some Pharisees at a Sabbath meal, and there were already had some discourse had been going on, and and very soon we're going to get into uh, this parable of the Great Supper, which symbolizes salvation and the celebration that's waiting for us in heaven. And many and the tragedy of many who make excuses not to attend. This, this, this parable of this, of this uh, uh, rich man who made a, a huge banquet and invited a bunch of people to come, and they made all the kinds of excuses not to come. Not to participate. 
I'll take before I get into verse 15, before we start diving in, um, it kind of made me think too about church. And I don't think I don't think it's stretching it too far that we can see the connection, the, the symbolism with church. Because in church, we, you know, I work to prepare a, a spiritual meal that's of value to you. That'll be a substance that the Holy Spirit will use to, to speak to your hearts and challenge you and draw you closer to God. And earlier you had appetizers of song and responsive reading. And it's all seasoned with prayer and intended to feed and strengthen you for the week to come. That's why we have church. One of the reasons. But over the years, I've had many excuses why people would miss out on church. I've, whether it's I've had someone I tell me, oh, I got to work on a home project, not an emergency, not like water was pouring out into their house, but they needed to finish up a home project, and so they'll be missing church. People tell me, oh, I need to miss church due to a family function going on, even though they pretty much have a family function going on about every week. I've had people uh, tell me that, oh, I had to volunteer for overtime. I wanted to make some more money and the opportunity to work overtime, and it was only on Sundays, so I, I worked overtime. My favorite was, was uh, missing church to take a nap. They weren't sick. They just decided they'd rather take a nap. Make excuses for doing what we ought. And put ourselves in harm's way in the process. But verse 15, when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God is blessed. You see, the, uh, the Jewish people pictured their future kingdom as a great feast with Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob. And, and so this guest, this anonymous guest, was confident that he would one day be at the kingdom feast. And all his buddies too there. That they would all be there at the kingdom feast. And Jesus responded by telling them a parable that revealed the sad consequences of false confidence. This, this statement, it really was a toast directed at himself and his fellow Pharisees. They were patting each other on the back. Spiritual pride. And it was, but it was not just a, a, um, a blessing on themselves, but also a scornful rebuke of the Lord's de declaration that they were too proud to enter the kingdom of God. So then Jesus responded to that statement in verse 16. Then he told him a man was giving a large banquet and invited many. At the time 
of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who were invited, come, because everything is now ready. A Christian attending a a breaking of bread meeting at an assembly in the Middle East. At the close of the meeting, a well-dressed Arab invited him to dinner. And when the invitation was accepted, the host walked away without giving instructions on how to get to his house, what time the meal was. And the man was a little worried. And so this Christian asked others for information. Do you know where he lives? Do you have any idea what time uh, he might have the meal? And he was just told to go to his hotel and await further instructions. In a short time, a servant came and asked the Christian to follow him. He was taken to the home of the gracious host and dinner was ready. The servant told people, come for everything is ready now. Everything is ready. There's room enough for everyone. Now is the time. All you have to do is come. The fact that everything is ready now reminds us of Jesus' completion of the work of redemption. When he uttered the incredible uh, statement, it is finished. And all the preparations for, uh, for entrance into the great banquet in the messianic kingdom have been completed. Everything has been paid in full. The gospel invitation goes out on the basis of that completed work. We have no more to do but just come. And this reminds us of Jesus' invitation in Matthew 11 where he said, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, so, and, so, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle in heart, gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. At Christmas one year, a pastor hoped to illustrate God's free salvation. He pointed to a beautiful Christmas poinsettia sitting on the platform wrapped in cellophane with a ribbon and said, whoever wants this gorgeous flower may have it. All you have to do is take it. And he waited. No one came. Finally, a mother in the back timidly raised her hand and said, I'll take it. Great, it's yours, said the pastor. But then the woman nudged her son and said, go get it for me. The pastor said, no, whoever wants this plant must come and get it personally. You can't send a substitute. The woman shook her head, unwilling to risk embarrassment. She wouldn't go get it for herself. The pastor waited, pointing to this beautiful plant that would make a fine decoration in any home. It was free for the taking, but no one was coming to get it. Someone snickered, what's the catch? No catch, the pastor said. It's totally free. A college student asked, it's glued to the platform. Everyone laughed. No, the pastor said, it's not glued to the platform. It's just sitting there, free for the taking. A teenage girl asked, can I take it after the service? 
was tempted to give in at this point. But he filed the verse, Today is a day of salvation, and shook his head. You must come and get it now. He was just beginning to wish that he had never started the whole thing. When a woman he had never seen before stood up in the back quickly as if she were afraid she would change her mind, she strode to the front and picked up the plant and said, I'll take it. After she'd gone back to her seat, the pastor launched into his message on Romans 6.23 that the gift of God is eternal life free to all who will receive it. After the service, when most people had gone home, the woman who had claimed the poinsettia came up to the platform where the pastor was picking up his Bible to leave. Here, she held out her hand. This flower is too pretty to take home for free. I couldn't do that with a clear conscience. The pastor looked down at the crumpled paper the woman had stuffed into his hand. It was a $10 bill. Friends, you can't stuff a $10 bill of your good works into God's hands to pay for his salvation banquet. He provides it to all, free to you, but at great expense to himself. Human nature is so inclined to boast in good works that when you tell people the good news about Jesus, you must take pains to make it clear that God's invitation is free and only free. So the banquet is ready. What a wonderful... It should be a moment of great excitement, right? The banquet's ready. Let's go. Response. Verse 18. But without exception, they all began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a field and I must go to see it. I ask you, excuse me. Who would buy land without first looking at it? The real issue is not the condition of the land, but the condition of his heart. This one is putting the love of material things ahead of the invitation of the big dinner. Verse 19, another said, I bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to try them out. I ask you to excuse me. Who would buy oxen without knowing they're healthy and strong? The real issue was not the condition of the oxen but the condition of his heart. He was putting, he also was putting the love of material things ahead of the invitation. Verse 20, another said, I just got married and therefore I'm unable to come. This one puts family before everything. Kind of like the ones I told you that that would routinely tell us that they couldn't be at church because of some family events. In essence, this man was making an idol of his wife, even as the two prior made their material possessions their idols. Someone noted the interesting thing is that none of these excuses were sinful in and of themselves. 
There's nothing wrong with buying land or animals or machinery to work the land. The Bible commends enterprise and hard work. There's nothing wrong with marriage and the love of family. The Bible commands us to love our families. But the point is, things that are legitimate in their rightful place can be wrong if they hinder us from getting right with God. Is there anything in your life that's hindering you from getting right with God? Eliminate it now. As Jacob buried his household idols, bury your own and turn to God. Anything that takes first place in your life ahead of God is an idol. Amos 5, 6 says, Seek the Lord and live. Matthew 22, 37 says, He said to him, Love the Lord with your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. You might say, I've tried, but it's so hard. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 and 14 says, No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way out so that you may be able to bear it. Then he finished with, So then, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I must confess, I never thought of of straightforward idolatry being much of a temptation. It's hard in our modern minds to think of that. Because we have a different forms of idolatry and, and it's but you have these household idols that you've learned to trust, to rely on for 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 maintaining control, try, trying to act as if you had some sort of control in the world around you. And to give up that little idol was giving up that control, and it was so hard. And it's no different today. We just have different names for stuff. It's hard to let go and trust. The Bible's true and can be relied upon. And it, but it's hard to trust that, isn't it? I was thinking of, I was talking to my dad about repelling for the first time. I, I Back in junior ROTC, I, I, the first time I repelled was off the high school auditorium about four or so stories up. And it was a bit scary. I had to trust that rope. 
that it was going to hold me. It wasn't going to break or something wasn't going to arrive and I would fall to my death. And I remember the hardest part is getting over the ledge. Once you get over the ledge and you lean into it, okay, that rope is going to hold, and you're going to be okay. Once I put my weight on the rope and just trusted it to do its job, I was able to accomplish what I thought was impossible. The Bible is, is like that rope. Has God asked you to do something difficult or scary? Trust the Bible. Lean back and jump. God's word will never fail you. Verse 21. So the servant came back and reported these things to his master. Then in anger, the master of the house told his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the city and bring in here the poor, maimed, blind, and lame. Someone noted the description of these people is a picture of what our sin does to us. The poor. Our sin makes us spiritually bankrupt. The maimed and halt, the maimed person was crippled in the hands or arms. Halt refers to being crippled in the, the feet or legs. This is what sin does to us. It keeps us from serving God and walking in His ways. The blind. What a reminder of the darkness of the sinner. Without Christ, a person is spiritually blind and walks in spiritual darkness. But notice it was these people who accepted the invitation. Those who were broken. During the North African campaign of World War II, some German troops became detached from their source of supplies. With their throats parched with the intense desert sun, they were overjoyed when they found a newly constructed British water line. Shooting it full of holes, they fell on their stomachs and began gulping furiously. They realized something too late. The British had been testing the pipeline with salty seawater. Within 24 hours, all, all the Germans were dying of thirst. Recognizing the severity of their situation, they quickly surrendered. In a similar way, Life's painful reverses are sometimes required to break down the willful resistance of people who reject God's terms of surrender. 
It's a mercy. Jesus' parable in Luke 14 reminds us that misfortune can be a blessing if it makes us willing to accept God's invitation. He said that only the poor and needy accepted the offer to attend the banquet. The rest were too self-sufficient and preoccupied. Verse 23, And the master told the servant, Go out into the highways and lanes and make them come in so that my house may be filled. That term, make them, or to compel. That Greek word that comes from refers a, 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 to, to a, a push somebody toward an action uh, with a sense of urgency. The city was was not uh, was a place where many could be found easily, right in the city limits there. But the highways and hedges, that is the main roads in the country, and the hedges that line them would present a far greater problem in finding people and suggesting more intensive search. This is an apt picture of the close of the day when it's become more difficult to find guests for the supper. And as many labor in in the gospel will agree. Easy profession is no more difficult than it ever was, but to see a genuine work of God in hearts is becoming rare. Why? Because we're all so distracted with everything else and we make excuses. I've heard I know I should get right with God but not now. Another time. I know God's talking about something in my life, but but I can't deal with that now. I'll deal with it later. Notice the invitation was not based on anything in the recipients. It was based totally on the goodness and bounty of the host. All these people had to do was to recognize their hunger, believe the offer was true, and say, yes, I'll come. They didn't see it. Didn't see the value in the offer. In 1973, Gary Kildall wrote the first popular operating system for personal computers, named CPM. According to writer Philip Ferreni, IBM approached Gary in 1980 about developing an operating system for IBM personal computers, but Kildall snubbed IBM officials at a crucial meeting According to another author, Paul Carroll, the the day IBM came calling, he chose to go fly his new airplane. The frustrated IBM executives turned 
instead to another man by the name of Bill Gates. You may have heard of him. Founder of a small software company called Microsoft and his operating system called MS-DOS. The rest is history. In 2010, Bill Gates is worth more than $53 billion of Mr. Kildall, who has since died. Arthur Paul Carroll says he was a smart guy who didn't realize how big the operating system market would become. He missed a huge opportunity. In a similar way, people often don't realize how big God's kingdom will become someday. God is calling with the offer of a lifetime. Verse 24, For I tell you that not one of these men who were invited will enjoy my banquet. That is scary, a scary statement. We know Jesus is talking about heaven. <clears throat> Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call to him while he is near. Proverbs uh, chapter 1, verses 24 through 33 says, since I called out and you refused, extended my hand and no one paid attention, since you neglected all my counsel and did not accept my correction, I in turn will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when trouble and stress overcome you. Then they will call me, but I won't answer. They will search for me, but won't find me because they hated knowledge didn't choose to fear the Lord, were not interested in my counsel, and rejected all my correction. They will eat the fruit of their way and be glutted with their own schemes, for the apostasy of the inexperienced will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whosoever listens to me will live securely and be undisturbed by the dread of danger. Verses like these two passages give a solemn warning that we not treat God's calls lightly. This parable had a special message for the proud Jewish people who were so sure they were going to eat the, the bread in the kingdom of God. And with a few short years, the gospel would be rejected by the official religious leaders and the message would go out to the Samaritans and then to the Gentiles. Have you accepted God's invitation? Accept it now. Don't delay. Today is the day of salvation. Have you shared His invitation with anyone lately? Is there someone on your mind right now who needs to hear it? Share it now. Don't delay. We are not promised tomorrow. Let us stand. Well, that's all for today. We certainly hope it was a blessing to you. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can email us at servantsheartchapel at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can go to servantsheartchapel.org. Have a wonderful day.